Swift Unwrapped, a show about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. My name is JP Savard. And I'm Jesse Squires. And before we get started today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone on every team together to build better products. Its fast, intuitive interface makes it easy for people on any team to focus in on their work on a specific task or project while also being able to zoom out to see how that work is contributing towards the bigger picture. With a simple API and robust set of in integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools that you use every day, getting out of your way so that you can deliver quality software on time. If you're interested in checking them out, go to clubhouse.io slash swiftunwrapped. Thanks, Clubhouse. So Jesse, let's talk about binaries. So many binaries. Do you do you have like uh, you're you're one of those um, street corner watch salesmen with the trench jackets, and then you open it up, it's just binaries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every uh, every architecture you can imagine. <laughs> uh, what what do you mean by architecture? What are you peddling here? <laughs> well. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need, I need, I need some lightness in my life. So this is like how I'm getting it. Yeah. Uh. We're talking about support for binary dependencies in the Swift Package Manager, which is exciting because this is something that CocoaPods and Carthage have been able to do for years at this point. Um, and the main thing holding SPM back was uh, the lack of ABI stability, I think. That's at, at least mentioned in this thread. Um, and here we are. So now there's a pitch for this on the Swift forums, and um, there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, and like ABI stability is sort of just part of the story, right? Because uh, Binary, like we've talked about these topics at length, but binary stability um, still isn't sufficient to be able to uh, compile against one version of a library and have have that version change and your code still work, right? You need library evolution for this, uh, which there are so many um, library evolution components that are coming in Swift 5.1, things like... Um, uh, the ability to annotate uh, enums is is frozen and things like that. That mm -hmm. and and just like very clearly defining the ways in which um, uh, libraries can evolve and having a stable um, uh, library interface that uh, that will stay consistent over time. Like these are all enablers to do something like um, uh, ship your binaries on on Swift Package Manager, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Swift five one also is shipping um, uh, module stability, is that correct? Yeah, uh, library evolution, module stability, those are sort of used interchangeably, I guess. Right, okay. Yeah, so a uh, big appeal, at least uh, within the iOS community, is um, there are currently a handful of um, closed source dependencies that a lot of people use. 
um, and usually use via CocoaPods things like Firebase or Google Analytics or other um, frameworks like that. Um, usually, I mean, there's a lot of different like analy analytics um, and like bug reporting frameworks that that ship this way, um, which also makes this uh, pitch even more uh, kind of convenient and timely because now um, Xcode 11 is shipping with um, SPM like support um, and support for iOS. So uh, that's pretty great. Yeah, and what's interesting is that uh, you have the, the whole XC frameworks story as well, which is um, the ability to package uh, binaries or, or frameworks that have Swift um, in, uh, in a binary form in a way that, that wasn't possible today. But uh, that's really just designed to work with Xcode, not so much with the Swift package manager. And in fact, um, a lot of the recent Swift package manager integration points into Xcode um, sort of make it hard to even produce some of these XE frameworks. Like, for example, you can you can open up a Swift project or an Xcode project based off of the Swift package manager manifest, right? So mm -hmm. instead of having a .xcode proj or XE workspace uh, in your in your directory, you can just double click the package.swift file and have that open an Xcode project. Well. If you do that, you can actually still use um, things like Xcode build from the command line to, to do things like like produce build artifacts and things like that, and run tests, etc. But what you can't do is produce an XC framework using that. It has to be mm -hmm. an explicitly set up like Xcode project uh, with an Xcode proj file, even if it just mirrors exactly what's in the package.swift um, setup. Uh, you you can't create XC frameworks um, just based off of uh, the, the package manifest, which I found was sort of unfortunate. I actually filed um, a radar, mm -hmm. uh, or, or I filed a feedback, I guess, ah, on this. Um, and uh, it was just closed as being like works as intended, but it's, it's sort mm -hmm. of a shame because it means that just if I want to create this XC framework, um, I need to maintain, I continue maintaining a .xcode proj uh, project. Um, I can't get rid of that, even if 99% of my other development doesn't need it. Right, that's unfortunate. What's the, um, what are the details of the new XC framework uh, format? How does that work again? I can't remember. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's a universal universal framework, um, more universal yeah. than ever. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and basically, you sort of have to manually create it, um, following some sort of convention about um, how to how to structure um, the, the the package directory or the framework directory. But you pass in, um, you basically archive your binary. Uh, in this case, a framework mm -hmm. um, for all of the supported architectures that you that you want to uh, include in the XC framework. So that can be, you know, simulator, iOS 32-bit, iOS 64, like all, all the different Mac OS, all the different variants for for Apple platforms that you want to support. Mm -hmm. um, and then you pass that to an Xcode build um, invocation uh, through through the command line, uh, where you can create. An XC framework. Um, let me see if I can sort of dig up the last time that I used it. Um, let's see. 
don't know if I'll find it. Um, oh yeah, there we go. Xcode builds dash create XC framework, and then you pass all of the compiled frameworks, um, and then outcomes. Uh, and, and all these compiled frameworks are, are what you do with uh, Xcode build archive. Right. Um, and then out pops out a uh, .xc framework um, package or, or framework, if you will, that you can then drag into Xcode or, or you can publish to some, um, you know, to some, like, for example, GitHub releases, right? Uh, and sure. then folks can just drag that into their Xcode project and, and have it linked and, like, set up appropriately for all the different targets that they need or all the different architectures that they support. Right. Nice. Um, so with that, you just have a, a single um, a single framework that you distribute, even if you support, say, iOS, tvOS, and watchOS. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And you, because we're all good platform citizens, all of our apps work on all the platforms, right? <laughs> exactly. So getting back to um, this uh, binary dependencies for Swift Package Manager specifically. Um, these XC frameworks have no integration point into the Swift Package Manager whatsoever, whether that's through uh, the, the Xcode Swift PM integration or using Swift Package Manager directly, uh, say, via the command line. So what this pitch does is it sort of presents a way to enable these binary dependencies outside of the Xcode path so that you can use them um, using Swift Package Manager directly uh, and, and also potentially expand that to work on Linux, but a lot of the details there are still up in the air. Yeah, that's right. So the proposal here um, suggests a few, of, a few changes to make to the package.swift manifest file, um, where you have the ability to um, specify these uh, binary dependencies and um, it's all pretty straightforward. I won't read through the code here, um, but um, yeah, there, there are a few extra arguments here um, and things to add to that file. So uh, that part's pretty straightforward. I think one concern raised in the thread is, um, you know, about distributing binary um, artifacts in general. Um, and the security implications of that. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more to what kind of security implications there are? Okay, so one of the uh, obvious security issues is that you don't have access to the source. You can't read it, so um, it's important to you know make sure you trust uh, whatever this third party is that you're getting this dependency from. Uh, that doesn't have necessarily specific implications for SPM itself uh, until you start thinking about like transitive binary dependencies. Um, in which case then I think it's a bit unclear and in this thread it's um, I think that's still something that needs to be considered. I don't know if there was like an actual um, solution to that. There is a to-do here that says more on security. Um, and this is not like a full-fledged proposal yet, it's still in the pitch phase, so there are some rough edges. Um, and the other, I think, big concern with distributing uh, binaries is that um, the binary could uh, 
from wherever you're pulling that, from whatever the source URL is, um, it could be like swapped out from under you, right? So like, let's say you build today um, and you pull that dependency, everything's good. And then um, next week you open this project back up and because you've had a week of meetings and then um, you're trying to um, build this project again and now all of a sudden that binary has actually changed. Um, let's say you didn't have it cached on your machine. So it, it, it gets pulled again, but it's actually different for some reason. Um, so that situation is something that SPM can handle. And um, uh, the solution here is um, uh, essentially uh, getting... Um, storing the, the hash of this binary so that when you resolve this package, you can avoid um, the, the vendor of this dependency kind of changing it out with, without you noticing. Yeah, that seems like, like it would work um, seems to, as long as the hashing algorithm used is, uh, is robust enough to avoid um, collisions that could be easily crafted if you like uh, just inject just the right thing in the framework. Right. I mean, just return one. We've been over this. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best hash, yeah. hash function. Do you work in security, Jesse? <laughs> I, I'm actually starting a security consulting consultancy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's going to be called hash one dot software. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one aspect um, is the security angle. Uh, but, you know, even if you do pull something in and you inspect it as best you can, um, even pulling up like a disassembler, like you might need to really dig in there to know if there's any sort of hidden back door. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I suppose that that's, uh, that's going to be a concern no matter what we do when, when it comes to supporting binary dependencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, just watch out out there, kids. It's a dangerous world. Which, you know, I mean, this is already uh, these issues with with trusting this third party. I mean, that's all already something we have to deal with with CocoaPods and, and Carthage, so. Yeah, another aspect that could be done here is um, is signing. Right, mm -hmm. so uh, you could require that um, the dependencies that yeah these these binary dependencies be signed or notarized or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that you know, um, you know that uh, it's not. It makes it harder for a malicious third party to go and swap out a binary mm -hmm. uh, if they can't sign it with your um, with your identity. Right. Uh, so that is mentioned in this pitch. Um, but one of the issues with that, so I'll actually just read this section here. Um, it says, we considered adding signature checks during the checkout of binary dependencies, but when these have transitive dependencies, it gets complicated expressing that in the package.swift file. I see. Yeah, so it seems like um, perhaps that could work, um, but when you have transitive dependencies, I think it gets a lot more complicated. Um, 
Yeah, and there's another comment uh, further down in, in the pitch thread. Um, so one thing I glossed over earlier was the um, one of the changes to package.swift is that you'd add like this uh, allows uh, binary uh, parameter. And uh, that's just like true or false to like opt in to allowing binaries for a specific dependency. Um, but uh, it's unclear if that is actually sufficient to um, to establish which binaries exist in the dependency tree under that. So let's say you have like you add a, depend a dependency in your package.swift file that allows binaries. But let's say that has that specific package has you know four dependencies and three of them are binaries, and maybe two of those also have a binary dependency. So then it's kind of like, are you allowing all of those? And like, how do you vet all of these and trust this whole subtree of dependencies that may have multiple binary dependencies? Seems like it's just dependencies all the way down. <laughs> you don't know where it ends. Yeah. Uh, maybe you get recursive dependencies and do like a zip bomb equivalent for Swift Package Manager, where <laughs> you like have this malicious package dot Swift manifest that just like recurses on itself. Mm -hmm. So many possibilities, actually. Yeah, I should I should become a black hat pen tester. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> fun. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, so it does. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say I really have no idea how to address that problem. Um, that's definitely over my head. Uh, I don't know what CocoaPods does for that. Yeah. Or if anything, I think it'd be good for uh, those involved in, in this project to uh, really look at some of the. Um, prior art in a lot of the other package managers that do have binary dependency support. I don't know if that's really mentioned um, in uh, in this thread. Uh, brief look through it didn't really appear to, to sort of highlight um, what other package managers do that that do have these binary dependencies uh, as as a supported artifact. Um, like I know there's a ton in um, in the Java world, right, where you have mm -hmm. uh, like artifactory um, products that are pulled down, uh, to really see what kind of efforts been, and, and designs been put into that kind of process, um, more so than looking at some of the other uh, iOS like traditional dependency managers, um, just because those like CocoaPods and Carthage haven't really been used a whole lot when it comes to um, things like uh, managing server dependencies. And that's really where right. a lot of the risk lives mm -hmm. is when you have, um, you know, this, this thing running on the server that can sort of infect all clients that are, uh, that are talking to it. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I encourage looking at, uh, at uh, um, things like Gradle, for example, to see how they've put in mitigations for this kind of stuff. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting to see. Um, I wonder how much of it still just falls back on trust whoever you're pulling these dependencies from. 
Yeah, it does. But in practice, um, you you need more safeguards than just trust, uh, right? Like you you see all of these yeah. um, like CVEs. Uh, what does it stands for? Um, like. I don't know. CVE is effectively like some known security vulnerability that gets shared out. Uh, and you see these all the time for like Ruby packages and um, NPM packages, especially. Uh, and it's like, what's, as soon as wait, wait, what's wrong with NPM? <laughs> nothing, nothing <laughs> other than it happens to have a lot of these CVEs. Let, let me look up what CVE actually yeah. is. Common vulnerabilities and exposures. Yeah. Um, and the minute that, like, at, over time, as Swift becomes more of a relevant player um, on the server, we're going to have more of these. Um, and so you can't just can't just ignore it or put the onus of trust entirely on on the user. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think we talked about um, the GitHub package registry uh, a few times ago and a few shows ago. And uh, one of the things that GitHub does is that it will flag if some of your dependencies have known CVEs. Uh, more so for other languages, um, right? Like like Ruby and JavaScript. But now that Swift is a supported language in the GitHub package registry, uh, you know, we we might start to see that at some point. Yeah, um, which would be pretty cool. And speaking of this, um, if we can take a brief digression um, on the Swift Weekly Brief uh, today or yesterday, actually. Um, so as you mentioned, GitHub uh, flags when there's a vulnerability and like a dependency you have. Um, one language they support very well is Ruby. And um, the Swift Weekly Brief newsletter, that's all built with Jekyll. So you know it's a bunch of Ruby dependencies there. And uh, they now have a bot that will open a pull request and bump the version uh, on your dependency um, uh, to get rid of the to to get you on a safe version, which is pretty cool. That is so considerate of them. Thanks, bots. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time I've seen that, and uh, it was pretty awesome. And it would be cool if that eventually comes to Swift packages on github yeah um github's been doing uh, to further digress because why not it, it is a podcast <laughs> after all um github's been doing such amazing work when it comes to um some semantic analysis of source code and being able to do things like um offer uh reference links or links to declarations from references in as you're browsing source code in, in the github.com web ui um and they support, you know, languages to various languages to to, to different levels of um, of support. But PHP is one that that they uh, apparently the support is really strong. And um, Ruby and JavaScript are some others. And it's sort of um, it's sort of bittersweet to to see uh, so much functionality be added um, and Swift not being part of the picture there. Uh, but at the end of the day, Swift. Swift's usage is so much lower than some of these other languages that it. it True. I, I don't think I would prioritize it any differently. But as as a Swift developer, um, it is a little bit bittersweet to not have access to that. Uh, so I, I hope that over time, um, as Swift gains adoption, probably outside of the Apple development space, um, you know, in the next few years, hopefully, 
um, that that we start to see uh, to to see Swift be part of the conversation a little bit more. Yeah, totally. All right, we have like two levels of nested digressions to back out of. So, <laughs> right. Can you segue right, so... us out of this, Jesse, somehow? <laughs> All right, can we unwind this digression stack right now? Uh, so getting back to the pitch, uh, I think the last real thing here, and again, this is something that still seems kind of uh, up in the air um, on the current thread here, um, but that is support for Linux and how it, that's going to work. Um, a lot of this is over my head because I don't use Linux that much. Um, but the concern is that all these distributions are, of Linux are extremely different. Uh, there's not really any kind of ABI consistency. Uh, there's no such thing as like the Linux ABI, um, except for like very low level things. And so that's a problem when you're talking about distributing uh, a binary um, that would work on Linux. Um, Whereas with source code, you can um, you can work around issues and have different build configurations and macros and things like this uh, to work on whichever version of Linux you're using. Um, and uh, with a binary, it's not as straightforward. Um, yeah, I wonder to what extent because um, like downloading binaries on Linux is something that people do on in. in and to some extent, these are non-issues for things like if, if you use, uh, well, I guess I, <laughs> this is an issue. Um, so like apt, right? And when you yeah. get an apt get install or something like that, I, I guess that's not available on all flavors of Linux. Um, mm -hmm. But when you do use that, uh, you'll you'll have um, a variety of like uh, of of uh, parameters involved in determining where to go fetch a binary from mm -hmm. um, based off of you know architecture and some variations in um, apt compatible uh, Linux OSs uh, but I, I guess you could tap into that from a um, Swift binary product point of view as well and like for example have have that dynamically constructed um, set of parameters that that make a binary compatible or likely to be compatible with a given system um, or you could even tap into apt itself or, or the equivalent repositories right like apt yum um i'm sure there's a bunch of others that i i just don't know about mm -hmm. uh, where you you could tap into that and it doesn't solve the problem completely but it gets close enough where um people are already installing binary dependencies in Linux environments uh, or, right. or binary tools, right? Uh, and so why not um, sort of follow that model? Yeah, it seems reasonable. And, and Daniel Dunbar commented on the thread, um, you know, in spite of these challenges, many projects do successfully distribute pre-compiled Linux archives. So like you said, it is happening and people are doing it. Um, but I guess the other thing is that SPM or Swift in general also only like officially supports Ubuntu. So I don't know if that changes the conversation here at all. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think 
we do have a bit of a missing story arc for um, not so much missing, but rather that we're pushing the envelope of uh, the current story for Swift as a cross-platform language, where you have um, uh, comp nerd Salim Abdul Rasul, I think, uh, who's doing a lot of work to get Swift working on Windows, for example, mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. just um, the compiler, but getting all, if not most of the uh, most, if not all of the tests to pass, the runtime, uh, the CoreLibs foundation, and now sort of working through a lot of the Swift package manager um, issues, right? So we're we're getting close to a point where maybe a few months from now, like you could plausibly be targeting Windows uh, with Swift, um, or at least if you're on the cutting edge. And so we don't really have a good story there for what level of support does Swift want to have for things beyond uh, Apple platforms and Ubuntu specifically. Um, so we're, we're brushing up on, on, on the limits of s sort of what's been done so far. And uh, I, I think it's up to the Swift core team to sort of define like, what is the story for cross-platform support beyond um, like these mainstream things? Yeah, that's a good point. So I think a lot of that will have to influence um, uh, the rest of the tooling space, right? Like to what extent do we want LLDB to support these uh, other platforms? And, uh, mm -hmm. and and same thing goes for binary dependencies for Swift Package Manager. All right, well, I think that's a good place to wrap up this episode. Um, one more thank you to Clubhouse for sponsoring. You can find them at clubhouse.io slash swiftunwrapped. You can find the show at, uh, on Twitter at... Uh, swift underscore unwrapped you can find me on twitter at jesse underscore squires and i'm at simjp and as always thank you for listening and we'll see you next time